Welcome to the Few Podcast. Never in the field of human contact was so much owed by so many to so few. So you want to become one of the few. You can't skip steps. You have to put one foot in front of the other. Things take time. I have a dream. I have a dream. Hear inspiring stories from the few and learn about what it takes to turn your dreams into a reality. It's a day for all Australians, isn't it? It's a day brings us all together. Your hosts, Boo and Sean. Hey there, everyone. It's another episode of the Few Podcast with me, Boo, and the wonderful Sean. How are you, mate? Awesome, mate. Really looking forward to today's uh, discussion. This, these discussions are are, are um, can be somewhat draining sometimes. I find that they can be quite intense. Some of these conversations. I've got a feeling today is going to be another one of those. Quite potentially, but also, I suppose, very eye-opening and, and, and determining what it takes to actually overcome you know, adversity and, and move forward in a, in a positive way. Adversity which many of us wouldn't even have any familiarity with, personally or even, even closely. Uh, so without any further ado, we're talking to uh, Rhiannon Tracy today. Hello, Rhiannon. Thanks so much for joining us on the Few Podcast. Thanks so much for having me, guys. A little bit hot. Welcome. How's your day going? It's a bit hot where you are. Oh, it's a scorcher, but who can complain? Bring on summer. <laughs> no, that's right. I was going to say, uh, I guess with the experiences that you've um, had uh, since the uh, early uh, or, or 2000s there uh, and your familiarity with discomfort being a little bit sweaty and hot is probably the, the, the least <laughs> trial that you've uh, had to deal with, right? Oh, the least of my worries, but one of the most unattractive qualities when it comes to temperature <laughs> regulation when you're a quadriplegic, that's for sure. Uh, I, I bet, I bet. So let's let's uh, let's touch on that a little bit. Uh, Rihanna, you've been uh, awarded a string of accolades, uh, nominated for Women of Future Award, recipient of two Australia Day Awards for Access and Inclusion, Ambassador for Wings for Life. Uh, you've started up uh, TNS, The Next Step, an offer profit organization for people with spinal injuries. So I would say uh, that these were a lot of events and things that you've established that you probably didn't anticipate setting up when you were at school. This was probably not where your vision of your life started, was it? Absolutely not. Look, when I was at school, all I worried about was how I could get out of school, to be honest. <laughs> Look, um, I've definitely been able to do and experience more things that I could ever have dreamed and imagined I could. And um, look, I'm not mad about it. Obviously, the world has a way of uh, making things happen and, and showing you your purpose in one way or another. And look, life is here to live and I'm definitely enjoying every single moment of it. Fantastic. And uh, as we're talking about uh, you know, today, one of the things we want to touch on, obviously, is, is a moment in time where... Um, you know, an absolute freak unknown accident happened which completely changed the trajectory of your life and you know doing a little bit of uh, background research on yourself and the and the just the uh, being quite a strong empath myself i was just thinking going whoa just imagine you know that um hearing the doctor say to you look sorry but you're you know you're actually not going to be able to walk again um you know, what was this what, what was going through your mind then and what over that you know subsequent months so what, what happened yeah I like mean, well what, let's see yeah, what happened first what, and then what one minute what, you're off bali drinking cocktails having a nice time and the next minute you're in a hospital that's collapsing in an earthquake <laughs> and and life to, changed to dramatically to injury you know it's, it, it, it wasn't bad enough then there was a, the worst earthquake i'd had i think or something at the same time yeah, so, so tell us about the day that changed your life forever Look, Bali was a home away from home for me. It was a place that mum and I would go to every year. So I've got um, one of those mums who's now in her 50s but still thinks she's in her 20s. So we've always had a super close relationship. Every year around tax time, one of us would jump on the phone to the other one and say, all right, we've just done our tax return. Let's book our flights to Bali, you know, go on our shopping sprees and buy all of our genuine fake Louis Vuitton bags. But uh, this particular year was really special, this trip, because I was taking my best friend with me and we were celebrating her birthday while we were over there. And, of course, the night that I had my injury was 
the celebrations of her birthday. That being said, you know, you think about Bali and like you said, cocktails and party and things like that. I was never a big party goer. Uh, I worked full time and studied full time. I was a veterinary nurse before my injury. And I was always, I was always like the designated driver whenever we went out. So I was never like a wild child when <laughs> the responsible it came to partying, but mm. um, definitely had one or two cocktails while I was in Bali, but the night that I had my injury actually um, was as sober as anything. So it's generally one of the first questions people ask me when I talk about my injury. They say, you know, were you were you drunk? Because, yes, a lot of these injuries are a result of being under the influence, but also a lot of Yeah, them... Bali has that reputation, doesn't it? Sorry? <laughs> Bali has that reputation. Right? You know, absolutely. Pe- most people have an accident and... Uh... It's a result of way too many beers or uh, cocktails. Absolutely. Well, yes. Look, unfortunately, this was just a fluke instance and I literally dove into a result swimming pool that was meant to be deep, but it was shallow. So the middle of the swimming pool was actually what was considered deep and the sides were shallow. So I dove in like I would any deep side of a swimming pool and I hit my head at the bottom and instantly broke my neck and my back. So... I remained oh, completely conscious throughout the whole ordeal. So I do remember it like it was yesterday. So it's a pretty uh, easy oh. story to tell these days. Obviously, I experienced the emotional roller coaster, and we can talk about that more. But, um, yeah, I just I remember being put into the back of an ambulance, which was like a beat-up old panel van, and taken to the closest hospital. I had a CT scan that confirmed that the broken fragments of my vertebrae were piercing into both sides of my spinal cord. My mum was told if I didn't have emergency surgery in Bali that my spinal cord could be severed and I could die. And um, my mum tells the story about how the surgeon actually said to my mum, if this was my daughter, I probably wouldn't want her operated on in Bali, but we don't really have a choice here. So we didn't. We didn't have a choice. And... Um, but when you when you hit the bottom of the pool, Rihanna, did you feel it straight away, or did you just feel like a a butt? May could you get yeah, out, swim, no, or float? Absolutely or? not. I hit my head, and I I felt a lot of pressure run through my body, uh, and yeah, as I was trying to move parts of my body to turn myself around or get myself you know up out of the water, that's when I really started to freak out because I knew something was wrong. Not for a moment did I think that I had broken my neck though. There was no, like, there was no knowing that I had broken my my neck. Um, I honestly just thought that I hit my head so hard at the bottom of the swimming pool that my body had just gone into shock. And um, obviously, you know, as I was being pulled out of the pool by my best friend um, and trying to move, I really started freaking out. But even though I couldn't move, when people were touching me, I could still feel their touch, which is very odd for somebody with my level of injury. You generally lose all feeling and sensation. So the fact that I could still feel touch, I guess um, everybody was was reassuring me that, you know, everything was going to be okay because I could still feel. So Yes, it was a pretty horrific ordeal. I'm very lucky that I had travel insurance. Otherwise, I definitely would not be here today to tell my story. And um, I had my emergency surgery 24 hours after I was meant to have it due to waiting for the surgery and Bali having a 7.6 magnitude earthquake. So the entire trauma center was falling around around us. That's unbelievable. Crazy. The timing could not have been yeah, more... Uh, inconvenient i guess in, how, in how was that 24 four hours like how what did that feel like what was going through your mind during that does the body go into shock to some degree are you conscious of what's going on are you you feel like it's all going to be okay i mean what was not many people would have such an intense 24-hour period in their life look i was in and out of consciousness at that point i was being loaded up with all kinds of drugs in Bali, let me tell you. I remember having that green stick pretty much as soon as I was put into the ambulance and from there on everything was a bit blurry. Um, I do remember experiencing quite a lot of pain and I was frightened. I just remember being absolutely frightened that we were going to die in the earthquake. And, you know, I remember saying to my mum, we're going to die. And my mum was one of those people that always says the wrong thing, like at any time. (laughs) So her reassuring words were, 
well, Rhiannon, if we're going to go, at least we're going to go together. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> but, you know, um, we survived and I spent two and a half weeks in the hospital in Bali waiting for the travel insurance company to bring a doctor and a nurse from Australia to Bali to fly me home. By the time the doctor and the nurse got there, I was almost dead. So both my lungs had collapsed. I had blood clots in both of my legs. I hadn't been in the bathroom for two and a half weeks. And um, we found out when I got back to Australia that my neck wasn't even secure on my shoulders. So in Australia, they'd take everything out that was broken, replace it with titanium. In Bali, they just left everything in and wired it up with stainless steel. So it was three additional surgeries when I got back to Australia to correct what Bali had attempted to fix and a pretty poor prognosis. That's just, the, there's, there's nothing good about that little bit of conversation right there. I could feel my neck shrinking <laughs> in terror. Uh, <laughs> but but the- to see you, how you show up, today you know on, on this this um, podcast this video obviously we can see you here and and i mean it, it, there's got to be this there's got to be some well of strength that you've tapped into to when you heard those words that you're not going to walk and you're like you know what and you well you've obviously proven them wrong that you can actually move you can walk and things like that um what was it that drove you what was that intrinsic fire that that you found or you know in imagine searching some of the darkness that you then grabbed onto and and allowed you to you know move forward and do what you've done over the last few years I think my age had a lot to do with it if I'm honest I think that um you know because I still had goals and aspirations I I had a lot of things that I wanted to do and I, I I believe that that played a great part in it but I've if you ask my mum, she'll just tell you that I've never been good at hearing no and I'm a Scorpio <laughs> and I'm an only child, so I'm as stubborn as all hell. But, look, that being said, it wasn't always brightness, you know. It was truly an emotional roller coaster, and there were some really dark days that my mum had to really try and lift me out of. And I think for probably the first three years, I experienced so many of those days where I just said, why, why did this happen to me? And I'd, you know, I'd, I'd I'd call them spinal cord injury days because there'd just be days where I just hated this injury so much and the effect that it had had on my life. But I'm 11 years post-injury now and my life has changed dramatically and it's a new life, you know, as human beings. And I think you guys can probably relate to this with COVID and everything that's happened over 2020. We're humans. We learn to adapt. And, you know, that's exactly what I think I, well, not what I think, but what I know I did. And to be honest, I do more now with my life than I ever did before. And I never ran before my injury. And that's one of the things that people said to me, oh, you'll be running again in no time, like my friends. And I was like, have you met me? Yeah. <laughs> Didn't run in the runner. first place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hilarious. So those those dark moments, uh, Rhiannon, because I think it's quite topical uh, in, in this time of year. I know there's a lot of people that are really struggling uh, and your dark moments were around you know, a loss of mobility and clearly as a young woman, so many elements of your life were, were going to be touched by that. And now we see a lot of people uh, who are feeling uh, dark uh, and down because maybe you know they have to downgrade their car or they're going to have to do without their ski holiday. Uh, what's your what's your advice to people who are who are who are dark but holding on to mm. things? One of the things that was continuously drilled into me, or was I guess they had tried to drill it into me, was acceptance. It was always you need to accept that you have to sell your RAV4 that you've only had for three months or you have to accept that your life is going to be in a wheelchair. And a significant conversation I remember having with one of the nurses was that it was the era of skinny leg jeans when I had my injury, so for both, you know, men and women. And I was getting ready to go to – because funny story before my injury I bought tickets to see Britney Spears and my mum was adamant that in my electric wheelchair in the back of a um an accessible van she was going to get me to Rod Laver Arena to see Britney Spears by hook or by crook and she was trying to get me dressed and trying to get these skinny leg jeans on me 
And the nurse had turned around and said to my mum, you just have to accept that she's never going to wear skinny leg jeans again. And my mum was like, um, she's going to wear skinny leg jeans. And mum was like rolling me over and throwing me my legs over <laughs> her shoulders. And that's just the thing. I don't believe we need to accept anything. We need to learn how to adapt. I think that's right. That's the key thing. There's adaptation, not acceptance. Exactly. And you do hear it a lot. I think the, um, I think a lot of the medical, um, you know, professionals and things have a certain responsibility to, I guess, tell us the worst case scenario. Mm. So they say if you've got a, you know, there's something coming, you've got a, you know, one in ten thousand chance of that happening. They don't say you've got a nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine percent chance of it not happening. Mm-hmm. So it seems to be, a, I think that's kind of the, the frame, but there's a number of people that I've spoken to in my life as well in the past that have had you know, um, things uh, in situations happen where they've been told this is what's going to happen. And they're like, you know what? I don't agree with that. I'm going to change it. And it's that internal willpower and, and, and ability, as you said, to adapt where they've actually overcome these odds um, you know, and, and being able to do things that, that you know, doctors and specialists and things have said that's not actually possible, which is I think that power of self-belief is such an important important part of it and where did you find i guess you said that first three years was was challenging where did you find i guess that tipping point when you really started to become that version of yourself that that, that owned it and went you know i'm going to wear this as a badge of badge of honor and i'm going to use this to to drive me forward Mm. when did that when did that kind of happen look i think it really did start when i was in hospital if i'm completely honest i think just to touch on everything you just said there, there's a huge difference between no and I don't know. And I think when you're at that extremely vulnerable period of, you know, being um, in the acute ward post a huge physical trauma, hope is something that we need to thrive on. And Mm. I think the lack of that is what was my driving force to make sure that, if I was going to have any kind of a life after this injury, then I needed to work for it. And within myself, it was, you know, give it all I've got as opposed to just give up. I was one of 20 people on the spinal ward. And I can honestly tell you that 85% of the people on that ward would just sit in their wheelchairs if they were able to use wheelchairs and just stare out the window. And it was so evidently clear in Australia for somebody who wanted to improve their quality of life that there was no available options here. And it was just, there were so many gaps that we were finding as a family and within meeting so many people that had been affected by this injury as well. Like I had my injury in Bali, which meant there was no compensation for me whatsoever from the Australian government. So my family had to fundraise for everything from a wheelchair to catheters so I was able to go to the bathroom, you name it. We had to fundraise for medications. Um, my mum was selling car, her car. You know, we were on the verge of having to sell our house and I begged my parents to not sell our house because I needed somewhere to come home to. And it was the fact that we had to do all of these things that, you know, was really just adding, you know, there was nothing that was easily accessible to somebody who wanted to improve. And it was an ongoing argument when I was in the hospital as to why they weren't working on my entire body because my goal was to walk again. And, you know, the the feedback that I was getting from the medics overall was just not good enough. So it's a very long story, but the long and short of it was there was just nothing here for anybody who wanted to have a, a real quality of life after this injury and it was upon going backwards and forth from Australia to America to do my rehab that we came back to Australia and I just went, you know what, I need to take this and I need to find purpose within it. And it's that old saying, you know, be the change that you want to see in the world. And it was just meeting too many people that had so much potential. And yeah, it was just I'm going to say you, so you said that very I really did dedicate the first, I'm going to say four years of my life post spinal cord injury purely to my therapy. But it was when I realized that my life had become so routine and I was losing the ability to just be happy and and go out and be with friends that, again, I had to keep making changes. And I I think you just just like an able-bodied person, you evolve over the years, you realise what's missing, you realise what you need to work on 
you have your good and your bad days. The bad days make the good days even better. And there was just so many things that when I was down, they were able to pent me back up. And it was also the knowing of no matter how bad that day was or how bad I believed my situation was on a particular day or time, I was meeting people who were so much worse off. And again, mm. that was that was becoming a driving force for me to just keep going. So one of the, you just said then it kind of in passing, it's like, you know, that old saying, be the change. Now, this podcast is called The Few, mm-hmm. right? That may be an old saying, yes, but most people don't actually live mm. it. Right. No, it's, it, they treat it as a oh that that's that fluffy that stuff thing over there. Oh, yeah. there's that there's that Tony Robbins nonsense that everyone's talking about. Oh, it's all me, is it? Oh, yeah. but but what I observe is that you actually have been an element and an instrument of change because of what's happened, and one of those few that actually goes from talking about it to doing, doing it. it. And and you know, obviously you you you've started the uh, the next step, um, you know, uh, foundation, not for profit organization to support other people in similar situations and. And how is how has been going down that path and helping other people also helped you in in your journey? In the early days of being injured, one of the things that was continuously being said to me was that everything happens for a reason. And I clearly remember being like, "Oh my goodness!" To everyone who's saying this to me, "You're so lucky that I'm paralysed," <laughs> because it was getting to the point <laughs> where it was being said head. that yeah. many times that I was just like, oh, "I just want to bop you people over the head!" Like you don't know what I'm going through. And 11 years post, I know that this happened to me for a reason because I'm aware of what I've been able to achieve and I think it even took me quite some time to be able to sit back and just kind of look at what I've been able to achieve over the past 11 years. Like I said, I'm doing so many things that I never, I never ever could have imagined. But the next step has given me a reason to get out of bed every single day, you know, and and physically that's not always an easy task to do. What I've seen people achieve within that facility, so just to give you a little bit of background about what we do, we are a whole body facility. So we literally just treat the body as a whole. We have mindset coaching, we have exercise physiology, and then we have the holistic modalities as well, like naturopathy, acupuncture, and massage. There's not a part of the body we don't work on and the mindset is just as important as the rest of the body because you guys I'm sure would know as able-bodied human beings, if you don't want to work out, if you don't feel good about working out, you're not going to work out, are you? You know what I mean? So we are treating people who, (laughs) you know, like myself, I hated exercising prior to my injury. I was never somebody who was big into fitness and I was literally having to go to the gym three to four times a week because if I didn't, my body was going to shut down or my body wasn't going to improve in any way, shape or form. So, you know, being able to not just see smiles on people's faces because you couldn't imagine just how sad some of these people are that have had their lives ripped away from, from them. Um, and the next step is is a place where a lot of people literally just come to leave with that smile you know what I mean and I called it the next step because it was the next step it's or it is the next step our hospital system it's great don't get me wrong being sick and experiencing different things in hospitals from America to Bali like I can honestly say we have a great health system but our health system is about getting you independent in your wheelchair and sending you out into the real world whereas the next step is to get you happy within your life, get you independent, doing the things that you loved doing prior to your injury in an adaptive way, not just throwing them away and saying, I can't do it anymore. Like we actually don't believe in the word I can't or impossible. It's about, you know, finding other ways to do things and setting goals. It's it's really not rocket science. When I explain it, when I talk about it out loud, I'm like, it's not rocket science. It's like any self-help It's not book. though, but it's the, it's the belief in that and uh, particularly the goal setting piece. Yeah, everyone knows they should set goals, but so many people don't. And I just want to go back to something that you just said before, which was uh, I had to exercise three, four times a week or I would shut down or I, I, would, I could potentially die. Mm. Uh, what is life like 
when choice is taken away because one mm. of the challenges I think in in life today is you, you go, I want to get fit. You Google get fit and you're overwhelmed with so much information and so many ways and, and so much choice that a lot of people uh, don't make a choice. They, they, they just become overwhelmed. How do, what do you think changed in your life when, I mean, it's, it's, it's sad that choice gets taken away from us to uh, some degree. And I look at my children who have so much choice. And I think, I think this is not necessarily a good thing. I, I think you just need less and, and just something to focus on. What is, how did your life transform as a result of choice being taken away and, and influencing your goal setting and activities? Well, I think when you have something taken away from you, you just realize how much you took that little something for granted at the point of being newly injured. I wasn't able to feed myself. I wasn't able to do any, I was a 20 year old woman who couldn't even go to the bathroom on her own so you know when you when I had this injury and when pretty much everybody I know has had their injury initially everybody's goal is to walk again because that's the bigger picture we have this innate feeling that without being able to walk again we're not going to have a fun and fulfilled life and as time progresses and you start getting out there and, you know, with assistance like somewhere from somewhere like the next step, you start to realise that when you can, you know, feed yourself or hug your loved one, you go, wow, I didn't actually realise how important that was for me. And again, I think everybody can relate because COVID took so much away from so many of us that I know a lot of people have definitely made changes within their lives. But um you know, for me, it was it was definitely about holding gratitude for the things that I was now being able to do, I guess that I was told I wouldn't be able to do, that, um, yeah, just really, I just kept, no pun intended, but kept the wheels moving. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, love I tell it. the yeah. worst wheelchair jokes. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I don't even mean right. for them to be jokes. It's just how I roll. We're both, we're both dads, so it's just great stuff. It's good stuff as far as we're concerned. Yeah, it's new material potentially, <laughs> but uh, just uh, one other thing that that uh, I'm keen to explore with you. Uh, I have a, a autoimmune disease called ankylosing spondylitis, and part of that is having a problem with your gut. And I, and I was admitted to hospital once because uh, my intestines had shut mm. down effectively, and, and in hospital. Uh, immediately a surgeon comes in and says to me, right, we've got to go take you into surgery, section you, cut that bit out. And, and I was like, that's pretty, sounds pretty horrible. Can I have a bit of time to think about it? No, 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 this is the way and there's a risk of this and we have to deal with it right now. We have to catheterize you, do all this stuff. I'm like, no, no, I don't want any of that stuff though. Uh, and, and, and the long story short there was, within that 24 to 48 hour period and totally different story for yours, uh, but I really want to hear your perspective on, a, on such a life-changing sure. scale. It dawned on me right then that the medical system has limits and it has risk profiles and budgets and, and ultimately you get the, a level of care that it's allowed to give you. Mm-hmm. How important is it though for anyone with any condition of a medical basis to own their own recovery, to own the research, the study, to understand how this affliction or injury applies specifically to them? Because I would imagine uh, through your work uh, post-injury and helping rehabilitate others, there's there's quite a bit that's the same, but I would imagine there's quite a lot that's different either from person to person. That is a big question. I guess there's two sides to this. So obviously when I was first injured in Bali, I didn't even have the ability to make my own decisions. So I thank the heavens that, my mum and I are so much alike that we would have chose the same path. But taking back power is something that, so I am a life coach, I'm the mindset coach at the next step and taking back your power and having the ability to still have your voice and that's something that above all things that were taken away from me, I always came back to the fact that I could make my own decisions, you know, after after the trauma side of things, you know, within the first couple of months of going from the acute ward over to the the spinal unit, I had my voice. So I was able to have conversations. 
that I was able to make decisions and make my own choices for. And I think that was really important, probably more so than ever, because everything else had been taken away from my dignity to, you know, everything, you name it. So that is something that I really try to encourage and educate. If you have the ability to speak up and take back power, you know, power is everything when it comes to making decisions that are your life. And, um, you know, I, I can't, I can't talk about that highly enough. If you, if you've got it, you need to hold on to it. And if you don't have it, then you need to fight for it. And that's one of the consistent battles that we have with the next step is everything that we do within the walls of our facility is not written in a textbook. Therefore, from the medic's view, it doesn't exist. Well, if they came in and they saw it, you know, they may have a different perception. But in the meantime, I just encourage and inspire and I guess motivate people just to use your voice. Mm -hmm. The one thing you can hold on to is, is that voice which gives you choice. Oh, I like great. that. Great. The voice gives you choice. Yeah. Look at that. Bit of a tagline there. <laughs> I'm a poet and I didn't know. It's pretty corny. It's pretty corny. It's the test. Tick. So by the sounds of it, you know, the, the, what you've created to date, it, it kind of sounds like you're, you're only just warming up. You know, what are your, what are your goals? What do you, what do you see? You know, you said it as a 19, 20 year old, you already had you know, goals and aspirations and things, but some of them may have changed and adapted in, in, in the journey so far. But where do you see yourself you know, going? What are, you, what are your goals over the next five years or so? Well, look, at 11 years post, I think the significance of my spinal cord injury to my life from my perception is probably about 15%. So in the last 11 years, my goals have changed dramatically. You know, my goal was initially to walk again. Well, yes, I can walk short distances and I bounce off walls. You know, I was married. My goal was to walk down the aisle and I did that. Luckily for me, I have a dysfunctional family, so I have a stepdad and a biological dad, and I use both of them to get me down that aisle. But, um, you know, and then I had a really horrendous marriage breakdown, which I went through as well. So, you know, just because I have a spinal cord injury, that doesn't put the rest of the world on hold. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't give me a bubble that protects me from everything else that an able-bodied person would go through. It kind of just gives me a little bit more armor required to get through life. But, you know, my goals to date are I've spent the last two years really, you know, really working on being independent. When I say independent, I mean independent on my own, not independent with a spinal cord injury, just independent with in my own life. Um, you know, I had been with my ex-husband well, I met him when I was 14 and I'm 32 now. So I was 30 when we separated and I'd never been on my own. So it was it was really about finding happiness. And the next step was a huge platform for me to hold on to and, and to encourage and motivate me to get through the dark times that, you know, had nothing to do with my injury, but I had an accept to fall back on because I had created this family dynamic of support and I think during that time, the significance of how the next step played a part in my life became so much more obvious. My goals now, well, I've just recently moved to Geelong. I moved to Geelong in the middle of the COVID peak, which was oh, crazy, wow. but I woke up at four going the other one way. morning and decided I needed to move and I wanted to be close to the water. So I packed up my life and moved here and here I am. I've, I'm raising a 10-month-old golden retriever at the moment who keeps me extremely busy so my goal is for her to not be a puppy <laughs> but, I don't you think know, that ever ends inevitably yeah. <laughs> I've spent so much of my injury living in the realm of spinal cord injury which kind of contradicts what I just said but I mean working within the spinal cord injury community that now you know I've decided over the next 12 months that I'm really going to focus on my brand and you know my story and getting my story out in the universe everybody I meet and tell my story to says you need to write a book so I think that's definitely on the top of the priority list good on you that's no that's not an easy endeavor let me tell you <laughs> uh, but no doubt it'll be it'll be awesome you, you mentioned a word before uh, that resonated with me 
and I think it's something that people attach to successful people, and that's the concept of armor, mm. and and putting this armor on when when we do things. Uh, and a lot of people uh, wear armor, but unfortunately, the armor's too thick, mm. or, or the armor uh, creates an issue where they're just a pain in the ass to be around. Uh, and and sensitive people, or you know, the the, the way the world is today. Uh, we're seeing a lot more of that, and I think that we're seeing people that are less, that are a bit more disingenuous or protective or wearing the mask. What's your advice? I mean, you, you of, of all people in the world, you would have the best excuse to have thick armor on on everything that you do, right? The, you've had your personal space invaded for for many many years. You haven't been able to do basic functions. We all take to granted. What's your hot tip for people to to be vulnerable? To, I was to, just going to gonna take say, the armor off. we were talking about power. Vulnerability is power. I think this comes down to, look, some call it armor. I call it a bullshit filter. And I also say that it was a superpower that I was given, but, you know, given amongst all the crap that I experienced with my injury and, and you know, the crap I've had to overcome. But, again, what I've gone through is just something. Every single person on this planet experiences trauma, whether it be physical or emotional. We've all been there. We all deal with our grief in our own individual separate ways. For me, though, I'm always somebody who likes to remain very grounded. So, you know, I'm quite a humble person. I thrive. Sean, you were talking about you being an empath. I'm a huge empath, which is why I do what I do in the public speaking realm. I thrive off making people happy, you know, so I don't think that it's even within my personality that I could not be open to being vulnerable. I think vulnerability is definitely power and we've got to feel our feelings. I realised that so much after my marriage separation, you know, I was actually diagnosed with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, after my marriage separation when I was initially injured, I was told I needed to speak to counsellors and I was 20 years old and I was like, nobody can tell me, you know, how to feel. <laughs> and then, you know, I'd experienced a physical trauma, but when my marriage broke down, it was all emotional. And I've always been someone who's thrown my grief into a project, hence the next step. But, you know, when I was diagnosed with PTSD, I just went, it doesn't surprise me. Like my 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 mum's exactly the same, you know, and I went, all right, well, it's time for me to really feel. And I have to say that COVID hasn't been so bad for me because it's actually given me the ability to stop and feel a lot of things. And I think we need to feel to be able to process properly, if that makes sense. So hard, and I think the arm is great, but it's also can just be a tool. It's very, it's hard to find that balance. And again, this is, I think, where the few uh, manage to find this balance between having the armor, not having the armor, being vulnerable, being a little bit more cautious. Uh, and I think there's a real skill, and it's a skill that you can only learn over time mm. by putting yourself out there, putting yourself out there, constantly taking those risks with your personal space, with the risk of being humiliated, the risk of being laughed at, uh, the risk of being pulled down. Uh, all of these things that that happen is, I think, is where you start to to, to refine uh, refine that. Balance. I think I think the 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 vulnerability piece though, and, and only really being someone to learn that skill, I guess, uh, in say the last five years. Prior to that, I think I had a huge amount of armor bullshit filter on um and uh yeah that's it <laughs> but uh what what, uh, what i found was that it was that that was that belief that it's a weakness mm. and what i've seen and obviously brene brown's got some great content on on this oh, as well she? and uh, it, it's it's that it's such a strength you know vulnerability has allowed me in the last five years to establish more incredibly deep meaningful relationships than i did in the in the previous 40 years of my life uh, and that's through actually being vulnerable mm. i think one of my favorite brene brown quotes actually um regarding vulnerability is that rejection is redirection to something better and that's something that i know when i was building the next step and i was getting all the no you can't do this and you can't yep. do that and i was hitting all the red tapes that like we even had moments as a not-for-profit organization being the only of its kind in australia we came so close so many times to having to close our doors. And, you know, every time there was one of those moments where we really felt like we'd hit rock bottom, it was like, 
all right, well, we're here and we have nothing. And I guess this comes back down to, you know, also having my injury and not being funded. When you have nothing, you have to work, don't you? Yeah. You know, yep. so that yeah, for being me hungry is just being like, hungry is not a bad thing. Uh, being hungry, you know, you just that 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 piece where it's like I have to do something to survive. Mm. There's a there's a real purity uh, in that. So, Rihanna, can we? You said we could go access all areas, yeah. so it's your own it's your own fault for us to, <laughs> oh, what to, to do a deep dive. Uh, but can you talk uh, talk through with us what what's involved with um, recovering from? such a a deep breakdown in a in a personal relationship i i, I can only mm. imagine what it's like uh, being with someone from the age of 14 suffering a life-changing incident and then having that rock or that other half uh disappear and w- with so many relationships under pressure with COVID now and uh, ge- generally speaking uh how, what what were some of the emotions and, and the pain you felt there what was how did you deal with that uh, tumult uh, and what would be your top tips for, for people who are struggling to let go of those sort of situations? I'm going to give you radical honesty and then I'm going to give you action. Okay. So <laughs> there was a lot of Valium and I can say that because I'm very holistic and I don't even take Panadol. So when I was nearly injured, I refused to take a lot of the medications that was scripted to me. Um, but when I was going through this relationship breakdown, my mum was literally force feeding me Valium just to get me to sleep. Because let me tell you, I honestly felt when this was happening to me that it was 10 times worse than what I had experienced when I had my injury. And I think it was because it had happened because of another person. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it didn't have to happen but it happened. So it was that knowing that this was all happening to you, like your heart was literally being pulled out and stomped on because of another person. So you experience, you know, that anger, the sadness, the, you know, the, the why, the everything. So there was Valium involved, <laughs> prescribed, obviously. And um, there was a lot of wine and a lot but of chocolate. You, you make a good point though, because I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people when they're in pain, uh, they, they choose not to uh, take medication or if it's a, a mental health related issue that there's something wrong with that. And uh, you know, from, from our experience on the show and, and at a personal level, sometimes it's the best thing to do because you, you can't control what's going on there. That chemistry and those neural pathways are out of control. It was hideous. But let me tell you two days post this all happening and the, and knowing the need for this Valium to help me sleep, like I said, I didn't even take Panadol. I actually said to my mum, I need to go and I need to speak to someone. You know, I need to understand. So, you know, my ex did have a mental health issue that I had no knowledge. Well, I knew about it, but I didn't know the background of this particular mental health disorder. So I actually said to my mum, I need to go and speak to a counsellor because I I need the knowledge behind this particular illness and I need support. I need support and I cannot stress how much that changed for me. And to this day, you know, two and a half years later, I've still got a therapist on call. You know, I'm a very strong, I'm a strong person, but I'm human. And even the strongest of us still need, like I always say to my coaching clients, even life coaches need coaching. You know, so I can't stress enough how important it is to speak out when you need that support. I remember calling Beyond Blue at three o'clock in the morning. Like I was, I ended up living with my mum at the time and she would go away for work. She was working overseas. So I was just alone and I'd be on the phone to Beyond Blue because I hadn't experienced the darkness emotionally that I was experiencing during this. And it was such a huge process it was surrounding myself with people that I knew I could rely on because I've always been somebody who a lot of people rely on. So it was pulling in, you know, that additional extended family of friends and support networks that, you know, really could just take me out and have a laugh and tell me stupid jokes that were worse than mine, but I'd still laugh at, you know, it's just, there's just so many things I could go on and on and on. But, you know, I definitely have to say that speaking to somebody professionally was an absolute game changer for me. And it was something that 
I don't want to say I always looked down my nose on, but I always kind of, I was doubtful because I was like, nobody can understand what I'm feeling, you know, especially when I was in hospital. Why should I speak to a counsellor? They're all able-bodied. They're not going to understand what I'm feeling. They haven't gone through this. And whether it's, you know, evolution, growing up, age, you know, I'm not sure, but I definitely, definitely now know how important it is to have that additional support because, like I said, we don't always have to experience something on a physical level that's traumatic for us to go, oh, okay, well, something's happened. We need we need direction or we need support or, you know, we need the tools to improve or change our lives. That shouldn't have to happen. We shouldn't have to experience that trauma, but everybody has in some way. And so I guess there's a, it really didn't matter the, who I was talking with. I was getting what I needed from my people as well as my professional support. And, and, and are there similarities or is it quite different? I guess jump in a pool, hit my head, I break my neck. It's fairly binary. I, I get that. Uh, but the other emotional injuries, it's not that cut and dried, is it? There's a lot of trying to understand and compute mm. and control and turn back time and all of these all of these different issues. How much of, of what you went through with your injury were you able to apply? Or was it just completely, just, just, just a totally different type of turmoil? It was completely different. And again, I don't know if it was because I was 20 and, you know, my whole mindset was completely different to what it has been, I guess, in the last five years. And that's what I mean, like, whether it's evolution itself, whether it's age, I'm not sure, whether it's a certain experience, you know, whether it was it was literally just the circumstance that I was in. I'm not sure, but I know it helped. Yeah, and that's the thing you see far too often is that we don't actually ask for support. Mm. You know, I had, uh, I had clinical depression for 17 years from my late teens and it took me until I was nearly in my mid-30s before I actually asked for support and got professional support. And whilst there was a bit of a false start with the first one, um, it got me to then... Mm okay, well, if that's not working, then I'll try an alternative and sort of open it, unlock the door. And that changed everything. Like it literally changed everything. And within about six months of making that decision, I've, I'd never gone back to a, a clinically depressed state mm. ever since then. You know, and that's 11, 12 years ago now or something. And, uh, but I'd resisted it and resisted it and resisted it, uh, whether, you know, so whether it's a physical industry or uh, in, um, injury or a, you know, an, an emotional thing. And, and often people do say the emotional stuff can be the stuff that hurts the most and the deepest that you've got to ask for support, whether it's a friend or whether it's a family member or if you can't talk to them, go to someone independent because they understand how we work. They don't need to understand exactly our situation because they understand how this human psyche works, how emotion works. And it's so important for people to ask for help, particularly this year, you know, 2020's kind of pushed mental health to the forefront. It's clearly getting a lot more funding and stuff behind it, but it's also becoming even more normal for people to go hey oh, mate i need a bit of help i'm not i'm not coping you know i think that's that's something that that is becoming vastly more more commonplace mm. one of the other uh, things that i'd like to talk to you about rhiannon is we often feel like uh we're different we feel that you know society doesn't accept us we have all of these strange feelings about being accepted w with those around us and i imagine people with a disability or an injury uh that that's altering what's your advice to people who are who are, who are struggling because as humans, we love to conform. I mean, we all feel like we need to conform to the Instagram portrayal of humanity. Uh, what's your advice or experiences in, in terms of coming uh, in dealing or coming to terms with being different? Look, I think my biggest, the biggest message that I would put out there for anyone experiencing this. And, you know, I guess first I'd ask, what like is it is it fear related you know what there's so many questions upon this question but never lose sense of self you know it, if these people like oh i'm trying to find the best way to explain this i i would just say never never lose sense of who you were before so the conversations that you were having prior to these things happening to you Keep having them. You know, we don't have to conform. Why? Why do we feel like we need to conform? Is and that's where I'm where I'm going with the whole fear, fear association to this question. You know, I think that fear it gives us direct access to where we need work. So if we're feeling like we should conform, 
I would kind of be spinning that that around and asking myself why because I can only speak for personal experience but there was there has never been a moment for me and this is just me in the last 11 years where I've ever felt like I needed to change something about me on a physical level because of what had happened to me um the work that I've done internally has obviously helped me on a physical level, but I've never, ever, ever changed my sense of self, if that makes sense. And I've never doubted my ability to just keep doing without being put into a minority or a box. You know what I mean? Like I've actually used so much of who I am on a physical level to get the things that I need, you know, there's so many, and when I say get the things that I need, I mean, you know, pull in the awareness and pull in the advocacy and make people aware of this being my situation, but it being so many, so many other people's situations as well. You know, one of the things that I, I guess I heard for quite some time when I started to get out and about using my voice was that, and don't get me wrong, I don't look glamorous today because it is 32 degrees and I don't have aircon. But, you know, I was the pretty girl in the wheelchair, you know, and one of the things I used to hear all the time was, oh, my gosh, you're so pretty. Like, oh, you're too pretty to be in a wheelchair. And I'd just go, oh, wow. What? <laughs> what? Like, there was, there was no etiquette around my situation for the outside world. And, again, like, it came back down to... You know, do I do I let that? Do I internalize that and let that change me or make me feel like I need to be somebody else so that how people would see me would be how they'd want to see me? Or do I take that and I use that as that tool belt, as that armor? And, you know, I go out and I really can I say shit? I'm gonna say shit anyway. Go out You're and allowed, rock the say shit out of like. everything that I've got. And make a change, you know, use it, really use it. And there's no conforming here. <laughs> I'm a true bit believer and just be your goddamn self. You're incredibly, incredibly positive. <laughs> and has that, was that a trait that existed prior to the, the injury or is that something that you've developed in, in this journey since then? Positive or confident? Oh, positive. No, yeah, I'd, I'd say think, positive. Well, both, say positive, both, yeah. but the confidence is clear. I get confident yeah. and I feel like some two, you know, some people put this, put the two together and get a little bit mixed up. But um, you know what? No, I don't think I was. I think that it's something that I've just had to learn to to be, you know, like I want to be happy. Happiness is a choice. So, and I've read, I've read the Brene Browns. I've read all the self-help books. I watched The Secret when I was in hospital, you know. I'm a huge believer in the power of manifestation. I'm a huge believer in, you know, what you put out there, you give back. If I roll out of bed and I feel like I'm going to have a shitty day, I'm going to just completely fake it till I make it when it comes to that. And I'm going to pretend to be happy. And then I believe that I become happy. But I'm also here. You know what I mean? Like I've I've literally cheated death numerous times and I'm here. So what's not to be positive about? Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic answer to that question. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for that, isn't there, in terms of having that um having that extra time. It's almost like uh I, I there was a, a new medication came out for my condition 15 years ago and and my life today without that invention would be fundamentally different. To, to what it is today and and that ability to just go well you know what the the sliding doors have gone this way for me and you and uh, Rhiannon as you uh, point out you've got a choice from that day mm. forward you can go down the the sad lonely route or you can go down this this new opportunity and I think that the minute you say yes uh, and the minute you say can uh that just sets up a, a, a forward momentum. And you, you sort of said it before. I think you, I'm not sure you said it, like keep going or, but just you've got to keep moving. Yeah. You, no matter what, life is going to happen. Mm -hmm. So just keep moving forward. Keep and then the universe will conspire with you to do that. Yeah. So do you have any mantras or do you have any kind of uh, like cognitive processes you go through when your mental state is letting you down? 
my favorite one and I love it so much I have it tattooed down my arm um sometimes things fall apart so that things can come back together now for me this is a huge mantra but like I've said so many times during this session with you guys is that we shouldn't have to experience something so big on a trauma-based level for us to realize that we do have a choice wake up and choose happiness tomorrow you know what I mean like it's easy for you and I to say because we've had these things that have happened to us and we're like yes we made a choice we chose to be happy now you know day one of the rest of my life it's like you know everyone's now starting to make their plans for 2021 or set their goals you know it's a new week it's a new day we have so many choices it doesn't matter what time of the day it is. It doesn't matter what day it is, what year it is. You know, wake up and choose happiness. Yeah, love it. We can reset ourselves at any point. And, you know, this is something that I say to everyone. You know, if, if you don't have all the things that you want or you desire, you will always have choice. Absolutely. And I suppose this, this might be something that relates to this question, but um, you've clearly had a, a very steep uh, learning and growth curve over the last, the last 11 years um, to help drive you and inspire you and allow you to grow and mature and, and become the version of yourself that you are today. If you were to go back to a, um, a teenage version of yourself pre-injury with one key piece of advice, what advice would you go back and tell yourself? Just exactly what we just spoke about, choose happiness. I I grew up an only child and like I mentioned earlier, you know, I did come from a dysfunctional family and I did, looking back now, you know, I did have days where I was that teenager that would lock herself in the bedroom and blast the stereo speakers. When I had my injury or the night of my injury, I can honestly say that I felt like at that point in my life I had I had my shit together. But you know, can I honestly say that I was happy? It blows my mind that 11 years after something so significant happened to me that changed my life that I can actually be this happy. You know, it blows my mind, but I don't disbelieve in it and I don't doubt why I'm so happy, but if I could have if I, if I could write a letter to 20-year-old me, it, it would literally just say, just choose happiness. You know, like from your friendship circle to your relationships to your career, you know, to the people you call your family, you know, happiness. Just it's, happiness. It's, it's pretty simple, isn't it, really, if you, <laughs> if you think about it. Um, but I think, you know, to go back to something you said uh, very early on, uh, I think you're right. I think everything does happen for a reason. And at the time, mm. we don't know what that reason is. Uh, and I, I always grew up with my mum always saying that. Yeah, everything <laughs> happens for a reason, love. And you would say, it doesn't. Like, this is BS. Mm. But I think uh, through our chat today, around it, what's become clear to me is maybe it is true. Maybe, maybe everything does happen for a reason. I've had people to date fight me on that now, fight me on the belief of that. Um, you know, people who are in a worse physical space than I am have said, you know, well, look at my situation. And I say, well, yeah, look, look deep into your situation. And I'm sure you guys are going to have listeners who are not going to agree with that statement that everything happens for a reason because in that time, in that moment, in the space that they're in, they may honestly feel like we spoke about that, you know, they're in the worst space possible or, you know, the worst moment in time. But look deep. Look really deep. Look at the decisions that you're making, the plans that you're setting. Are you even setting plans? Are you even making goals? What are you going to do tomorrow? Have you made that plan? Because if you don't have goals and if you don't have aspirations, then you don't have anything to look forward to. Planning, goals, positivity, everything happens for a reason. We've got the, uh, the recurring themes coming up all over again. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, like kinda... if you're not making those plans, they're not going to happen. 
No, absolutely. Absolutely. Rihanna, thanks so much for taking time out of your incredibly hot Geelong day <laughs> to uh, chat to uh, Sean and myself, uh, despite being uncomfortable. Uh, hugely insightful. And again, I just find myself when we're having these conversations, my mind just wanders and so many things that you said there uh, reinforced some stuff I need to have a look at in myself again because uh, 2020 hasn't been ideal uh, for me as, as much as anyone else. And I think there's quite a lot there, Sean, that people can take away. Absolutely. But uh, really appreciate your openness and and uh, and sharing your, your journey with us to help inspire some of our listeners as well. We look forward to the book. <laughs> Thank you, guys. I'll be sure to make sure you guys have a signed copy. Excellent. Thank <laughs> you. Take care. Thanks so much for coming on today. Cheers. See you later, guys. Thank you. This has been The View Podcast with Boo and Sean. If you've got value from this episode and you would like to support us, please share it with your friends. If you're posting this on social media, use the hashtag The Few so we can see who's listening. The View Podcast is recorded at Momentum Media in Sydney, Australia. To listen to more episodes, visit us at viewpodcast.com and make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Dream big, keep pushing, and one day you can become one of The Few. We'll see you next week.